Welcome to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversee. We're the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. Uh, So, on the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we'll be engaging in vigorous and robust discussion on culture, history, and current events, all from a biblical perspective. The Voice of Truth Radio Show. We're on every uh, Thursday at 5 o'clock. Saturdays at 3 o'clock we podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Email radiovoiceoftruth at gmail.com. So welcome to the show. Good to have you folks back. We didn't get to record last week, Pastor. No, you were busy. Um, I forget where I, oh, I was. In, uh, I was in the Capitol and uh, couldn't, well, I don't know. Let's see, we record on Wednesday morning, which means I have to to do prep the night before, and yep. that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So, uh, but we've got double the show for him today. So, so preachers uh, do do most preachers write their sermons the day before or usually, a week before. We usually have our wives write our sermons <laughs> a couple of days before. I was going to mention. I thought there was a feminine <laughs> flavor. <laughs> uh, your wife, I think, would do a good job at it. She's she's kind of the quiet type gal. Yeah, she's and she's sharp. I'm telling uh, you, you can tell. Right, yeah. you can tell. Oh that. man! So uh, anyway, yeah. So you didn't answer my question. When do when do preachers write their sermons? <laughs> That's none of your business, quite frankly. You're supposed to listen to them. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> you okay, let so, me. You let me worry about how we write them. You you listen. <laughs> I've been rebuked, <laughs> but that never stops me. So here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking, preacher. I think that most preachers write their sermons a day or two before. Mm-hmm. The same reason I do. Uh, show prep the night before because it's fresh. I can't. Yeah. You How can't write can a sermon work if you're super planned. You know. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Uh, you can't write a sermon a week before. Actually, I'm. I'm weird. If you. Uh, if you attend our church or or you come to um, more than uh, you know a few services, you'll find out that um, I actually do a sermon calendar. So I uh, reveal to the church at the beginning of each year. Uh, what books of the Bible we're going to be going through, uh, how we're going to be approaching it so that they can start their studies on it at the beginning of the year. And uh, and then I pretty much stick to that. There's been a couple times that, you know, the Holy Spirit's taken me in a different direction. And, like, I'm going to be doing something on Wednesday nights that's going to be addressing some of the cultural issues, like yeah. social justice and critical race theory and different things yes. from a biblical perspective. Because you know things come up that the the Holy Spirit just says you got to address this. Right. This is evil. This is yes. this needs to be dealt with, and it, it has a biblical foundation to be able to deal with it. You know, it's not just uh, a political situation; it's a biblical situation. So, so from time to time that'll happen. But usually, I'm I'm planned out about a year in my my sermon preparation. Yeah. So, so and uh, you you pastor at uh, Fellowship Baptist Church, yep. where we are right now. Yes, sir. Where my family attends, and I highly recommend it. Um, Highly. Uh, did you hear about um, the Jonah situation that happened this this past week or week before? As I was reading the article, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, so, it's crazy. So here's a guy 
that uh, he said, OMG. He said the bad DJ yeah, tip. Yeah, but, yeah, hey, listen, you're getting swallowed by a whale. We've got to have a there little bit be. of. He said, I'm in a whale's mouth. This was a lobster diver. Did you know there were lobster divers out there? I thought I you just. Didn't. But I'm never diving for one now that I read this story. Yeah, right. So a lobster diver says he was swallowed by a humpback whale off Massachusetts coast, but the whale spit him out. Well, so they <laughs> did the same thing to Jonah. Jonah had to spend a little more time. This guy was in there, he said, what, 30 to 45 seconds. So this is what he said on his Facebook page. Hi, everyone. <laughs> That's how you want to start. You I know. guess if you're just swallowed by well, hey everyone, I just want to clarify what happened to me today. I was lobster diving and <laughs> a humpback whale tried to eat me. I was in his closed mouth for thirty to forty seconds before he rose to the surface and spit me out. Can you imagine? <laughs> so that's uh, that's story one. That's uh, so. Uh, Oh, you know, a whale he, couldn't swallow somebody. Jonah ever, can't be true. Well, there you go. That's ever, happened before, by the way. Have you ever been to a party, you know, and, and there's that guy there, and he's he's kind of telling his story, and he thinks it's the greatest story in the world, <laughs> and you're kind of listening like, oh, man, I wish this guy would be quiet, you know. Well, now this guy, when he goes to a party and he's hearing that one guy tell this, you know. Yeah. This story about how, you know, he's done this, that, or the other thing, he can be like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got one for you. Right. <laughs> right. He's, uh, Have you ever been swallowed gonna, by a humpback he's, whale? He's not going to be one-upped. Very no. unlikely on yeah. that one. Um, so we're going to, in the next segment, we're going to do just kind of a cornucopia of things in this segment. But next segment, we're, we're going to talk about Father's. Father's Day coming mm. up Sunday. Yeah. And uh, every preacher in the country um, most address it from the pulpit, mm. as, which is good, yep. which is very good. And uh, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about fathers, and it will be interesting. I want folks to stay tuned. Don't turn off the radio because, uh, look, if, if anyone is abused and uh, um, just ridiculed in, mm. in the culture today, it's fathers, it men, and boys in, in just a hideous way. And we're paying the we're paying the price for it mm-hmm. in the culture. All right, so uh, here's some other news. That just a few things that I that I saw that um, uh, we're not going to do critical race theory today, just because we <laughs> we don't have time. We usually address it in some way. But here's here's some people that are really standing up. I thought I'd just run these by our our listeners here, like Daniel in the Lions Den, four teachers who stood up and refused to teach wokeness. In the classroom. Now, I'm not going to read the story here, but I do want to do the headlines because yeah. these are a big deal. Now, we got people standing up. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, YouTube videos of these gals. At yes. these, you get a mama mad. Oh, yeah. These mama bears are going to these board of education, boards of education, and they're letting them have it. Yes. They're letting them have it. Here's a lady. Uh, this is in uh, Dan Bongino's. I get, I, uh, I get him on Facebook. Furious mom confronts school board over sexually explicit lessons for five-year-olds. Yeah. Five-year-olds, Pastor. That's who they're going after. And she holds up this book that uh, it was so bad that the members of the Board of Education say, don't don't talk like that. In our- <laughs> well, she's quoting the book. <laughs> she's quoting the book that's being taught to five-year-olds. The board, oh, These man. are members of the board. Hey, whoa. Hey, wait a minute. And she's after him. She wow. is like a tiger. Uh, 
people are standing up. These moms are standing up. Good for them. And it's really, uh, really good to see. Uh, so let me see here. I'm out of order here a little bit. Um, here's something run by here. I want to see what you think on this. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he said this last week. He said, politicians who are not supportive of the right-to-life cause are, quote-unquote, the first ones to sell out to the D.C. establishment. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? Why would it be that politicians that don't have that core belief that life is sacred and should be protected, that it's – that I mean, if you're, if you're pro-choice, you probably don't believe – in creation, that God mm. creates man, or you wouldn't be so bold as to say, look, God God made babies, but we're going to kill them. Um, but what is what is it about the nature of a pro-choice politician that they would be the first to sell out? That's what DeSantis says. Right. Well, I think that uh, pro-choice viewpoints um, are the epitome of being able to take a moral compass and twist it to whatever fits your need at the time. And so if you're a politician and you're trying to survive yourself and you're willing to throw your own baby under the bus to survive, who else are you going to be willing to throw under the bus to survive? And that's kind of the mentality is if you don't have a bedrock fundamental firm foundation Mm -hmm. on morality, you know right from wrong. You know right from wrong. If you don't have that kind of character, then, I mean, what lesser situation? There, there's no more important issue than life. Mm. No more important issue than mm-hmm. life. So on far lesser issues, you're going to be wishy-washy. You're going to capitulate. You're going to give in if you feel the moral narrative fits your need at that time. Yeah, it's all about relativism. All about relativism. We create our own truth. And yeah. and look, if it's, uh, if it's conveni- convenient and expedient for me to say that we need to protect babies, mm. then I'll say that. Yeah. But if we come into an age where that's not expedient, then I'll say something else exactly. because I define my own mor- morality, right? Exactly. If you don't have absolute truth that you believe in, yeah. like Scripture, that's why we, we always say uh, when we when we do our show, Pastor, we uh, we we bring things and we try to uh, as much as we can. Uh, sometimes we forget or I forget, but we bring it from a, a biblical perspective. Yeah. What what does it matter who says what? I want to know what God says right. about it. Because if I have a, uh, and and you say this from behind the ball, but if I but if if I have a if I have a uh, a belief or a philosophy that's antithetical uh, to what God says to what Scripture says, then I need to change right. my belief. Right. And let's just be very honest about what abortion is. The vast majority of abortions are convenience based. You know, they like to bring up these arguments about, well, what about the issues of rape? What about the issues of life-threatening medical conditions? If those exist, they exist at a very, very super small percentage of the abortions that actually take place. And I'm not condoning abortions in any respect or form, but I'm simply saying this. The predominance of, of abortions that takes place takes place because of an issue of convenience. It's not convenient to have this child, so I'm going to murder it. Mm. That is what abortion is. And so if you are willing to capitulate on that and accept that, then then what else wouldn't you accept if it was convenient for you? That is uh, 
That is true. I heard this story, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be quick here, but I heard this story about this gal who had uh, like eight or nine abortions. She would just go in, like you said, because it was it was convenient. Mm-hmm. And obviously, she's not married. This isn't what married. Not that married. There aren't married people that have abortions, but for the most part, you're talking about gals who are out of wedlock, mm-hmm. and it, it's not convenient for me to have the, for me to have this baby right, right now. And this gal had eight or nine, and she would just get pregnant, go in and have an abortion. And I forget what happened. Uh, I don't know if she saw it. was kind of an – we were talking about Abby Johnson earlier before the show, but it was, it was kind of an Abby Johnson movement uh, moment where she either saw something, heard something in the abortion cl- clinic where it was a moment of, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. I've been killing my babies. Yeah. And she went into a rage. She just went hysterical when she realized what she had been doing mm-hmm. all those years. She'd been lied to, Pastor. Yeah. They lied to her and told her it was a lump of cells, and it was a big lie. That's and that right. poor gal, she'll she'll never she'll never be normal. Right. You know. Of course, God's grace. I hope that you know she. I hope she turns to the Lord yeah. because how else do you stay sane if That's if right. you don't put your life into the the providence of God and that yeah. whole paradigm and That's God right. God is all right. So why do these things happen? Just a couple of minutes here, and we're gonna uh, move on out of here. Go to the next segment. But uh, we, t- we were talking about this the other day, and I saw another uh, uh, the, a couple shows ago, a couple weeks ago, um, and this is a an article on uh, biblical worldview, which we talked about quite a bit, and. Uh, back in October, this is uh, Jonathan Van Martin. He said, back in October, I detailed several data sets in, indicating that America is about to see her first post-Christian generation, a reality that will likely transform politics mm-hmm. and has already transformed culture. So they, he's talking about a poll here uh, from, I think that was, conducted for the Family Research Council uh, done by George Barner, probably the one we talked about. But uh, in this article, he says only 6%, when you get into the poll, analyze it correctly, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Wow. And I think there are more that think they have a biblical worldview. That was it. That was it, Pastor. They said, do you have a biblical 40-some percent? Sure, yeah, Yeah. I do. Then they started asking them questions Mm -hmm. about their theology, and they didn't have a biblical worldview at all. And you know what that means? It means people are going to church and they're not getting taught the Bible. Mm. Yes, that's exactly what it means. Yeah. Uh, And and it explains a lot of... of, of, uh, you know, I saw a little gal the other day, um, the daughter of my friends, I'm Facebook friends with, <clears throat> excuse me, she she was all happy that we're up to 55% of the population who believe that homosexual marriage is okay. Hmm. Now, she's a Christian gal, homeschooled, the whole deal, They eight kids in the family, good family, and somehow, somehow she's gotten that in her head that that's okay. That's not a biblical. That's not a, a biblical uh, worldview in the least, no, it's is not. it? No. All right, so uh, we're going to move into the next segment here, uh, Pastor. Move on out of here. One thing I just—I'll uh, start with this in the, in the next segment. But uh, uh, we're going to talk about fathers, and we're going to talk about fatherhood. We got 
Father's Day coming up mm. in uh, just a few days. And um, so we'll do that when we come back. It will be a good segment. Folks, you'll enjoy it. We've got some really fascinating information that uh, that will be good to good to hear. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Azinger, Brian Leversey. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. We're going to talk a little bit um, about Father's Day, hmm. because it's coming up. And a wonderful thing uh, is Father's Day and Mother's Day in America. I think it's quintessentially America. Uh, I know Mother's Day uh, started in West Virginia. We talked yeah. about that. A couple. You mentioned uh, uh, you did a stint in Arizona, too. And I forget, I always say, yeah, you were Iowa, Arizona, yep. California. And now West Virginia. And now West Virginia. Yep. So you need to finish out here. Go ahead and just, uh, <laughs> just go ahead and just bury uh, me on that hill here in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so uh, Boy Scouts. Uh, we we we've seen the destruction of the Boy Scouts mm-hmm. in the last five ten years, uh, but there's a Christian alternative to Boy Scouts that I have this little badge here. I got this in Charleston. Somebody from this group, Trail Life USA. This is a new group that uh, is is basically taking the place of Boy Scouts. It's Christian. Mm-hmm. They meet in churches like what the Boy Scouts do or did, and they do not have uh, uh, openly gay scout leaders mm-hmm. like the Boy Scouts have decided is okay. They uh, It is boys only. The Boy Scouts have girls in it now. Hmm. Uh Hello. <laughs> I thought they had Girl Scouts for that. They did. And by the way, the Girl Scouts are suing the Boy Scouts. <laughs> oh, it's not good. It's not oh, good. Man. But Trail Life USA is, I tried, when my son, they've only been around since 2013, but when my son was younger, I, I tried to get a group in West Virginia, but there was uh, there was really nobody here. And uh, But they've seen it dur- during all this uh, COVID thing and all this, a 70% increase in new members. I think that is a lot of dads saying, look, there's a, our boys need to be taught how to be boys, mm-hmm. learn how to be men. Yeah. And and uh, that, if ever there was a need for that, it is now because because boys are, are not being taught how to be men. Boys are, uh, are just kind of being left hanging mm-hmm. in the wind, yeah. don't know who they are, don't, are, are being told not to be masculine, told – Told uh, not to be boys, you know. Don't that natural, that natural masculinity inside mm-hmm. of you that comes out is being ridiculed, discouraged, and and boys aren't learning to be to no. be men. In fact, you know, one of those cultural buzzwords that flies out there today is this idea of a toxic masculinity, and about anything that you do. That this isn't talking about you know, drunkards in a rage and, you know, good old boys club types. This is anything that has anything to do with representing the male gender is somehow toxic. And it's it's just another segmentation of critical race theory, except it's based on gender. And that's been around for a long time, too, with the women's liberation movement and the, you know, trying to pit women against men. I believe God made us to complement each other. I believe that we're to be a support to each other, a helpmeet to each other. Uh, the the gender roles are a a 
blessing to be celebrated by God. When they come together, it produces the fruit of, of children. It produces the fruit of relationship. It mirrors uh, Christ's relationship with his own church. And when you start taking that and tearing it apart, you tear apart the very fabric of the blessings that God has for a culture. Yes, and, and obviously Satan ha- hates it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, it is, as you say, it's a it's a picture of the gospel. It is. It is a a man the the, the man picturing Christ and the gal picturing church mm-hmm. uh, the church and that coming together and and there being total opposites mm-hmm. in 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 terms of of uh, the masculinity and, and femininity mm-hmm. and and what the devil's doing is making boys feminine and girls masculine. Yeah. Making them the same, and, mm-hmm. that, and it's a great evil. There's uh, there there's some fight back though, um, and it's it's encouraging to see. There's a guy on YouTube, Pastor, who uh, teaches boys how to do things that a dad would teach you. Hmm. And I forget his name. I just heard the story, but he has a YouTube page. I think it's got hundreds of thousands of boys that hmm. watch. And this guy, God bless him, he just gets on YouTube, teaches you how to. You know, change a light bulb, change the oil, mm. change a tire, uh, do things around the house that a dad would teach a boy to do. Yeah. Isn't that great? That is good. And there's books out. I got this when I ordered this uh, because I want to use this when we run out of the etiquette thing. <laughs> uh, there's It's a book on manliness. Nice. And this couple, um, uh, a husband-wife couple, just go through and wrote a book. Here's one. Here's how to dress. Hmm. Uh, the anatomy of a hat, wearing wearing a hat, building uh, a dop kit. Don't don't know what that is. Uh, the art of thank you note writing, uh, friendship, manly friendships. Um, anyway, uh, fight how to fight. You know, nice stuff. Stuff that boys need to learn how to do. And mark that page for me. I need to learn. <laughs> Just get a gun, right? <laughs> it's uh, so so anyway so. You you have I used to every every time a commercial would come on almost all of them the the, the man looks like an idiot make, they make him look like a fool sitcoms uh, sitcoms do that you know I mean and I used to say okay honey who's the fool uh, because it would a commercial would come on they make the man look like a fool I'd say okay honey who's the fool and my wife who sits across the room she got tired of me asking I just have to point it out. Just for a, as a defense mechanism, because right. I don't want that seeping into me, into my boys right. and my my little girl also. Right. So, there's a book I read uh, that I heard Clarence Sexton, who's a phenomenal preacher. Mm. Uh, he has a a a uh, a bit on YouTube that has gone uh, uh, virtual on. Donald Trump's Bible. Mm. I don't know. You that's that's how folks may know him. It's phenomenal. Mm. Uh, but Clarence Sexton, um, I think you know who he is. He yes, has Crown College in Tennessee. But he mentioned this book years ago. I heard him mention it called "A Faith of the Fatherless," mm. and this book is a uh, a study by a guy named Dr. Paul Vitz, who's a, a Christian professor. He's uh, older in age now, but but his thesis is. He takes he takes uh, like these small biographies, mini biographies of these of the great atheists of the past five hundred, mm. four or five hundred years. And great, you know what I mean by great, the the yeah. famous ones. And he he does this study, um, 
and he says the known believers, the known unbelievers, the atheists, before the French Revolution, which was 1789, the number of uh, the number of of, of atheists was fewer than a dozen or two. There were hmm. uh, there were almost no atheists. Like the well known, like yeah. I, I mean, I think he's just saying that everybody had, had a, a theistic yeah. belief mm-hmm. system. But uh, uh, so, so he says, for disbelief in God remained uh, scarcely more plausible than disbelief in gravity. Then he then he takes these famous people. And he, he basically says that these, these famous atheists came from homes where there was either no father at all or a weak father. Mm. So he starts with—and and this is the hard part, and this is the tragic part, but many of these, these famous atheists had a father who died uh, when they were very young. Mm. So there was no father in the home at all. Uh, he talks about Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche, who was famous for saying God is dead, right. and he was uh, he was born uh, uh, 1844, 19th century guy, and uh, he was he was a son of Nietzsche was a son of a, a Lutheran pastor, hmm. and his father died when he was very young, when he was five years old, and um, it had an effect on him, and in how he viewed God. Hmm. But there was no father in the home, yeah. no dad. David Hume. Uh, David Hume was, was famous during the founding father's age. He died, ironically, in 1776. Uh, David Hume had a, was a famous, uh, influential atheist of the age of the founding fathers, but he, uh, his father died when he was only two years old. There was no father in mm. the home at all. Bertrand Russell, who died in 1970, and uh, he had essays on why I'm not a Christian, famous atheist, um, and he died. Uh, his father died when when uh, Bertrand Russell was a, a young man. Jean Jean Paul Sartre died in 1980. Sartre's uh, father died when he was 18 months old. Hmm. Uh, John Paul Sartre is famous for uh, the atheist, uh, the existential movement, right. the existential belief, which is essentially atheism. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was his belief system was: it's up to you to give life meaning. That's existentialism. Yep. You you create. You're the arbiter of your own uh, destiny, your own will, your own um, uh, creator of your own meaning. And uh, that's Jean-Paul Sartre. Albert Camus, who's a French mm-hmm. atheist, existentialist. His father died when he was one year old. Wow. So here you have these boys, hmm. no dad in the home, not of their own fault. Right. It was just a tragic situation yeah. where they had no dad. Hmm. And these, these atheists uh, grew up in a home w- uh, with no father, and it influenced their, their, uh, their worldview of God. Absolutely. And that happens. I mean— you know, fathers die, and it's a tragic thing, and undoubtedly that leaves scars, but it reminds me how important it is for the other things that God has established. You know, it's a, we, we could get mad at God and be like, well, of course they don't believe in God. God let their fathers die, and now they're without a father, and this is really kind of God's fault, but God's provided for that. He's called the church to take care of the widows and the fatherless, and I think that's a huge ministry 
that's lacking in churches today. Mm. I think we we many times ignore the widows and the fatherless, and we've got our programs, and we've got our outreaches to other things, and we've got our social justice now, you know, uh, hot-button kind of fatty ministries that we put out there. And when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of true ministry— it's about the widows and the orphans. That's what uh, the Bible even tells us in the New Testament, that if you want true and pure religion undefiled, yeah. then you need to take care of the widows and you need to take care of the fatherless. And I think, uh, and I wonder, Pastor, about these men that, uh, like uh, Nietzsche and uh, David Hume, Bertrand Russell, and, and so on, if there was a man that... that uh, if a man had stepped in and become like mm. a father to them, or had they been told that uh, God is the father of the fatherless, right. you know, and it is, it's, it's very tragic. And it, it shows how important it is for dads mm. to stay in the home, dads and moms to, to stay together, yeah. and how it is important it is when we see a, a boy that doesn't have a, a father for whatever reason, especially in this age of, of high divorce and, and, uh, 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 couples that don't get married at mm. all and have that that is it's a it's a mm. very important thing. But the second the second thing that he studied, uh, the first was was basically just uh, fathers who had died. But uh, th- then these the the uh, atheists who grew up with abusive or, or weak fathers. Mm. These are fathers that that uh, ab- abuse them physically, mentally, mm. um, and uh, Thomas Hobbes. Who died in 1679? Who was he? He he. he uh, his father was a, a vicar of a, a small Anglican church. Thomas Hobbes had a, had a, uh, a tremendous influence um, uh, in his age. But uh, uh, Voltaire, uh, Voltaire, uh, a famous—he wasn't even an atheist. He was an agnostic, and he died in um, 1778. But uh, Voltaire, uh, these these guys have. Uh, specific stories of, of fathers who were just uh, either abusive hmm. or just weak, like Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud had a father that he he didn't respect because he was cowardly and, hmm. and that didn't show him how to be a man. And, and his father was a Jew, and he was ashamed of being a Jew. And Freud looked at looked at that like, okay, my dad's my dad's weak and. It, it it affected his his worldview to, mm. view also, but but uh, Freud of course was a was a, brought into uh, brought into uh, uh, the the zeitgeist just a, a horrible philosophy mm. on on psychoanalysis and and and, and sexual uh, philosophy and so on. Yeah, and it's amazing to me, and I don't think we pick up on this. I think many parents. Uh, <laughs> They're just trying to survive. Let's let's make it another day. Uh, let's feed the kids. Let's get them to bed, and oh, our day's over with. And what we don't realize is how the calling of parenthood, uh, and of course, a mother has their role, father has their role. It reflects the goodness and grace of God to our children. It, the, the the actual calling of parenthood is a conduit that God uses to pour into those children an idea of who He is. And a lot of times we're not taking into consideration that our calling, it's a calling. It's not just, oh, man, I got pregnant or I got somebody pregnant and now I'm a, I'm a father or I'm a mother yeah. or whatever. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a calling that God uses to channel and to conduct his own grace and mercy to those kids so that those kids can grow up with an opportunity to know 
who he is. And, and when that's absent, it's amazing, even from the history that you're reading here, how that impacts these people, these individuals, to, to deny sometimes the very existence of God in their lives. Yeah, and, and, we're, and uh, we'll finish in the, in the next segment uh, on, on these fathers who had uh, uh, great influences on their mm-hmm. kids because the, the book, which is called Faith, Faith of the Fatherless, uh, he he addresses that also, mm-hmm. but but he, the the main you know the the point he makes at the beginning first two thirds of the book is just what happens when when these famous atheists were uh, had a, a bad a bad relationship yeah. with their father and how important that relationship is he mentions uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare mm-hmm. so people my age and younger or, or older or maybe your age but you might remember her also Madeline Murray O'Hare was a was just a a bitter, mean atheist. Mm. Uh, she had an atheist organization. She's the one who's responsible for the Supreme Court decision that took prayer out of schools. Right. Yeah. And there's this, this story told in this book of how she, uh, uh, her, 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 her son, she, she was, she was murdered by the man who re- who ran her atheist organization, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, but her son became a born-again Christian. Her son tells the story of this fight that she and her father had where she had a kitchen knife, and she was just just insanely angry at her father. And something happened there because it's not natural— to have a relationship with that with your father, if if you're if you have a normal relationship, you'll love your father right. and adore your father and look up to your father like you know you and I do our fathers. Right. But she had a she she had a murder in her heart. She wanted to, and something happened there, and so and 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 no doubt that has some some kind of influence on her going to the road of yeah. road of atheism. So yeah. so I just want to make the point in the first segment of how important it is. And and the the, the influence that a, a a bad father can have, or right. no father influence. Yeah. Next segment, we're going to talk about uh, you, and we'll, we'll let you finish up in the in the next. Segment. How important and and the great influence that good mm. fathers can have. Absolutely, and and uh, we'll do that coming up. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show with Mike Azinger and Brian Leversey. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. We're talking about the importance of fathers. Father's Day coming up mm. this Sunday, and uh, we talked about last segment, Pastor Faith of the Fatherless by Paul, Dr. Paul Betts, and he uh, he writes this rather short book uh, talking about how these the famous atheists of the last uh, several hundred years, three even up back to three or four hundred years. That are well known, uh, uh, Voltaire and and Freud and um, uh, all of these, uh, many of these David Hume, these uh, these men that raged against God and and how they had a a bad relationship mm. with their father. Even Madeline Murray O'Hare, we talked about we talked about her. There's also a part in the book that uh, I didn't mention last time about uh, Mao Zedong, Hitler, and. Uh, Oh, the third one is escaping me, but uh, Stalin, uh, how they had an abusive hmm. relationship with their father. And 
it's, it's very sad. I mean, these were evil, evil, evil men. Yeah. But they they were also abused horribly yeah. by their fathers when they were young. And so now we're going to talk about in this segment um, the great influence that good fathers can have, godly mm-hmm. fathers can have. And the book addresses that also. He uh, talks about Blaise Pascal, uh, who died, a man who died in 1662. But he was he was homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And had a loving relationship with his father, and became a, a great Christian influence, along with Edmund Burke, who was mm. who was part of the uh, British Parliament, and had a wonderful influence from his father, and became a great Christian influence in in government, mm. um, in uh, in England and and America. His his influence because he was he was for the American Revolution, and um, Edmund Burke was a great man. De Tocqueville even. Even uh, talks about his relationship with his with his father Wilberforce. Here's a, he, uh, Wilberforce, who was uh, so instrumental in slavery being uh, done away with. Yeah. And his father uh, wrote letter after letter after letter to all all the children, hmm. to all the boys, and talked about how he prayed for them, how he loved them, and all their uh, all, all the all the boys became. I think he only had boys, but all they all became. Uh, great, great Christian men and pastors and, and lovers of the Lord, and uh, of course there's uh, and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer who mm. who uh, was was killed because he was part of the plot against Hitler. Right. But Bonhoeffer had a, a wonderful father, and there's exceptions on both sides to this, obviously, but uh, but it's it's so important that fathers. Uh, the last, the last verse of Malachi. Mm. You know, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers. It doesn't say mothers. Mothers obviously have a incredibly important, obviously. Right. But God says, I'll turn the hearts of the fa- uh, children to the fathers, mm. and the fathers to the children. Well, you know, and I, I think scripturally speaking, even in the Old Testament, we see that a lot of the generational outcomes of the fruit of a society rests on the father's shoulders. You know, the sins of the fathers visit future generations. The uh, honor that a father gives to God will visit future generations. These are principles that are taught completely throughout scripture. And, and I get in this book where, you know, we're highlighting perhaps prominent people in society and how that influence of having a father or not having a father played a role in who they became and what they did. And I'm no sociologist. I don't have an expertise in uh, knowing all of the data points for every single thing, but I've read enough to understand that this plays itself out uh, in, in regular society as well. Obviously, those that we know or can point to in a book, we say, wow, that's how they turned out, and this is why. But boy, there are a lot of neighborhoods in our communities today where crime is to the roof, and a lot of the reasons why is because there's no father figure in that home that's really you know, ministering to that family and giving leadership to that family, and these children don't know who they are, and they get sucked into these gangs, and they get sucked into these, these situations of criminal activity, and it's just a blight in even our culture today, when you see the absence of good fathers that are praying for their children, loving their children, nurturing their children, it's uh, it's something that is tragic in our in our communities. Proverbs says, uh, "The glory of the children is their fathers." Mm. When dad comes home, hey, dad's home. Right. There's a there's a, uh, a 
an effect there yeah. that fathers have on their children that, that is only can only be explained that it, it comes from God. I was out visiting at a my. Uh, my radio show in Northwest Indiana. I was just on the cusp of of uh, the greater Chicago land area, and I was out visiting. I had a Sunday school class too, and I was out visiting with uh, a friend of mine who had been a missionary in Africa. I forget what country, but uh, we were we were in one of those. They, they used to call it ghetto, uh, and that's what it was. Ghetto, you know, inner city is a, a politically correct term that doesn't mean anything. Right, ghetto. Uh, explains what it is and it was a ghetto mm-hmm. there's no dads there and uh the, the, i was visiting we were in the car on the way to a, a visit somewhere and he just looking out the window people walking down the street in this ghetto and he said it's you have whole sections of communities with no glory yeah no glory because the glory of the children is a father there's no father i heard this also i was, I was in my uh car same back when i was in indiana uh there's a uh, you're, you're familiar with moody bible institute mm-hmm. they have a radio station there yeah. been there forever and ever and there was a, a a black pastor being interviewed and it was uh just before father's day they were talking about it was it was a father's day interview mm-hmm. and this black pastor said uh um today in these large sections of these cities uh, these ghettos there's a lot of daddy ache. Hmm. Every single boy, yeah. I never forgot it. I never yeah. forgot when he said daddy ache. This was years ago. Uh, but every single boy, even the most hardened gang member in every city that doesn't have a father has daddy ache. Hmm. When there's no dad, you have, you have a daddy ache. Every boy, every little girl needs, wants, desires uh, – by nature, a father. Yeah, and God has created it that way. That's his plan. And when we go against his plan, like with everything else, it ends very tragically, you know. And I think we're seeing today in our society a segmentation that is crippling even what we would call a nuclear family today. You know, it used to be back in biblical times that the families were so entrenched together, they lived in the same geographical areas, they stayed together. There wasn't this commuting that takes place today. There wasn't this, I'm leaving home and I'm going to get my education somewhere else. There wasn't this, I'm five years old, I'm getting shipped off to school, and then I'm going here, here, and the other way. I understand that's our culture today. I understand that's our society. But back in biblical times, even the children were known by their father's names. In fact, in Scripture in the New Testament Mm -hmm. says, you know, so-and-so, the son of this man. And, and, And that meant something in your culture. It it signified who you were, but many times it even signified what you did. You know, many of the children became who their father was. In fact, Jesus became a carpenter. And why? His father was a carpenter. And uh, I, I, I look at my own family, and obviously I'm not saying that every son has to become what their father is, um, but I think there should be such a close-knit teaching and relationship that there's something about that dad that's passed on to that son or to those daughters. And, you know, my dad has been a pastor for, for many, many years. And, uh, of course, I, I grew up uh, in the home of a pastor, and uh, I felt the Lord was maybe calling me into something either political or in law. And uh, I ended up becoming a pastor. And I don't think that's in any small way a, a you know, part of the influence that my, my own father had in my life. I mean, I'm not... I'm not daddy called. 
in a ministry. Right. I'm God called into ministry, but I think God used my father to to really give an example to me of what a, a good pastor is and, and how we should love the Lord and, and lean on the Lord and follow the Lord in our life. Yeah, you know, you're talking about your father. My, 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 my father also, uh, he was in... Uh, he was in politics before I was, a long mm-hmm. time before I was. And I, when I'm in Charleston, his first name's Tom. I still get called Tom <laughs> um, m- by everyone that served with him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad, uh, he's nothing fancy, but he's like um, salt as a rock, steady yeah. as the sunrise. Yeah. And I, I remember telling him when I was a kid, dad was a Marine uh, for for several years, a long, long time ago. He's an Eagle Scout also, but... Uh, I used to like the way he walked. Hmm. I used to watch Dad. He had this stride, and now that I'm older, I understand he probably that 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 walk was probably honed in the Marines. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was younger, when he was younger, he's in his 80s now, doesn't walk the same. But when he was in his uh, 40s, 50s, I, I remember observing how he walked, hmm. and I think how a man walks is important. Mm-hmm. I think how a man talks is important. I think how a man learns just gestures and and uh, just the itty-bitty things of manliness are important. And you can't learn that unless you have a father or a father figure yeah. in your life. And boys need to learn to be men in many, many ways. Uh, a story that uh, that I, I, uh, I read a book on John Adams uh, a couple of years ago by David McCullough, which I highly rec- recommend. But, but you know, D- David uh, or uh, John Adams' son was John Quincy Adams, mm-hmm. who was uh, who also became a president and was was a quite godly man. Also, as John Adams was, I think he kind of fell away from it a little bit in later years. But uh, John Adams' son, John Quincy, was a brilliant, brilliant kid. Knew mm-hmm. all these, you know, back then. Uh, they learned languages when oh, they were yeah. young, it's and he took he took uh, as he was working uh, on getting uh, France's help during the American Revolution. He took John Quincy with him yeah. when he was a boy. Yeah, and John Quincy Adams, so much. he was uh, he was an ambassador when he's fourteen. Yeah, John Quincy Adams turned out to be the president and a great great man. So, John. John Adams had another son also, whose name I forget now, but uh, he was a son who was younger and st- stayed home mm-hmm. and wasn't with his dad nearly, nearly, nearly as much. And he died an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You, you never hear about him. But I always thought, you know, if John Adams had taken him also, mm-hmm. and I'm not the one to judge a guy who raised John Quincy Adams. <laughs> I'm not judging John Adams at all, but... But uh, had he spent the time with his dad like John Quincy had, uh, what kind of man would he have turned out mm-hmm. to be? I don't think he would have died uh, an alcoholic. Yeah. You know? I don't know how spiritual a thought this is. I think there's something you can connect to Scripture in it. But, you know, I, I, I was left with my own father as he's poured into my life with the, the feeling that I want to live my life in such a way and be a father in such a way that there's something about me that my son wants to be also. Yeah. He might not be a pastor. He might not do exactly what I do. He might not think all the exact ways I think, but I want to I want to parent him in such a way, I want to be dad to him in such a way that there's something about me he wants to be. Uh, there's um If you look at scripture, New Testament, uh, the way that God describes a parental love is generally from 
a father's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, would a man give uh, a if your if your son asked for bread, yeah. would you give him a rock? Right, right. It's it's the father that he talks mm-hmm. about, isn't it? Um, I want to get your your thought on this. You know, in, in the Old Testament, a lot a, a lot they would say, "Are we not better than our fathers?" Right. There was that that uh, intrinsic uh, thinking belief that we should. Be like our fathers and, and excel, stand mm-hmm. on top of their shoulders. Right. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, and uh, there, was, there was another uh, – I, I wanted to uh, talk about also the, the point you made about uh, the identity of somebody in the Old Testament also. Uh, but I was, I was reading um, about uh, Ahab and Jezebel, mm. which I think is just an utterly fascinating story if for no other reason the fact that – Ahab repents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that great? Right. God said, hey, look at Ahab. Mm-hmm. He's repenting. Right. Ahab put on sackcloth and ashes, yeah. but you know what? Jezebel didn't. Yeah. And in, but in that, in that piece of Scripture, God identifies Ahab, the son of, Jezebel, the son of. And you know what I think when I read those? I think... These are two evil people. I wonder what the dad was like. Hmm. You know, God yeah. mentions him. <clears throat> How would you like to be uh, even Judas? Right. Judas is described as the son of, and I forget mm-hmm. who his dad's name is, but somebody's somebody was Judas's daddy. Yeah. Somebody was Ahab's and Jezebel's daddy. Yeah. And mommy too, but but God chooses to identify yep. with uh, with the dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, any final thoughts on on this? We're going to move on Just out of here. Just that we have a great uh, heavenly Father, and yeah. Yeah. you know, I think the the whole cap of of that love comes from His expression of grace and love to us, and that's a calling that our heavenly Father passes down to earthly fathers, and uh, we've got big shoes to fill, but we can do it because He fills us with His Spirit as well. Amen. And if you don't have a daddy. When thy father and thy mother forsake you, I will take you up, God said in, I think, Psalm 27, one of those psalms. Yeah. But so if you don't have a daddy, there is God. God will be your father. God is very sensitive to the borders of the, as you said, the widow and uh, uh, the orphan. Yeah. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. We're going to talk about etiquette. Have we done that yet, uh, <laughs> Pastor? Have we talked? We're going to finish up with etiquette. We're going to tell you folks to straighten up. And uh, put your napkin on your lap. And <laughs> Tuck what else? in your shirt. Tuck in your shirt. Don't stick out your tongue. <laughs> I hope that's one of them. <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. This is Voice of Truth Radio Show. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is your host. State Senator Mike Azinger with Pastor Brian Leversey as my co-host, sitting mere feet away. And we're going to talk about etiquette as we have been doing in this last segment every week. Tell folks, uh, look, uh, sit up straight, mind your manners. It's helped uh, me. My wife's noticed. She's like, has she? you, you've changed. I can... <laughs> 
stand to be around you now. That it's, is wonderful. I feel like I, I, I feel like that uh, I'm responsible for that. Can you tell? Uh, I'll let her know. Have her send me a thank you note. That hand raising her. He's a transformative person, man. Uh, like nothing him, you've real. never known. All right. So last week we said sit like a royal. That's a good one. I love That's that one. one. Stay home when you're sick. That one been in uh, in spades <laughs> last year. Yeah. Knock before you enter. I told you about the neighborhood girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, can't be doing that. She's a doll baby. Remember your table man- manners. Yeah, that's uh, good. And then last week we f- finished off with reach out to people who are grieving, which uh, my mm, son mentioned that. He listened to our podcast. He said uh, he enjoyed uh, what you had to say on that. 36. So we're getting to the end, folks. we got a couple more weeks. We'll be done with this. This is townandcountrymagazine.com. Uh, 36, let people get off the elevator first before you get on. Wow. And elevators are awkward already. They are. They? I mean, you're in there with... What, you know, what, what is it about oh, elevators? I don't know. <laughs> but you're in a box with somebody you don't know a lot of times. I mean, how many other situations in life are you, are you in that? No windows, a door that's closed, you can't open it on your yeah, own. Yeah, it's, it's like, why start a conversation because you have gonna, three seconds yeah. to end it? So how's your day going? Bing! Okay, goodbye. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so um, I think we need to get rid of elevators and just bring stairs so I've got back. a question. If if both people in the elevator are following that etiquette rule, nobody's going to get off the elevator. Let people get off before you go on. Oh, before you go on. Yeah. Not off first. Yeah, yeah. that's a good, that's and a good another, rule. And another, yeah. listen when your co-host is <laughs> <Me>. talking. <laughs> Ding! Pay attention. <laughs> All right, 37, teach your kids good manners, please. Please do that. Have you ever seen a child in uh, public misbehave? Oh, man, Has your child tragic. ever misbehaved? Not for long. Mine have. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> when you get home, you are dead. Yes. You are. Uh, yeah, that is. But, you know, everybody, if you're a parent, your child You've been in that spot. has oh, misbehaved. Man. Yeah. So, uh, Please and thank you go a long way. You know, teach teach your kids to. You know, we we teach our children to say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, mm-hmm. and uh, if they're addressing an adult, to use their last names. You know, Mister or Mrs. So, I think that's one of the areas we're losing in our culture today is for children to respect their elders. And, and so that's a, pe- a pet peeve. Yeah. I know you probably shouldn't have pet peeves, but. Uh, uh, young people, children, whatever, addressing adults by the first name mm. is 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 disrespectful, like it. and it's yeah. it's not a good sign. And it's, it's my generation that that I think dropped the ball on this. Mm. I, you know, like I said, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but uh, there was nobody in my generation that addressed a parent as a first name. We had yeah. a pretty tight neighborhood where I lived. You know, I was in different houses of buddies. All the time, it was always Mr. or Mrs. Mm-hmm. And to this day, like I told, I'm, I'm afraid to address them when I see him by the yeah, first time. <laughs> absolutely. I still don't do it. Oh, all right. My phone is flipping up on me. We're 37. Why did it keep going? Hold on. 30. Let's see. Find the elevator one. And then uh, teach your kids good manners. 38. Silence your smartphone at the movies. Yeah. Or if you're watching a movie at home with your family. Yeah. Or... Anywhere. Pretty much anywhere. <laughs> you can. At, hey, at church while church. your pastor's preaching. You know, the, I, one thing I have noticed is that it seems like this was a um, a lot bigger problem years ago, like several years ago. Like it seems like it's not as big of an issue now. People are You're looking at me like, yeah, whatever. Is well, it? let me tell you about a really good one that happened in church. So I'm preaching and I'm going at it. It's one of those moments I'm really feeling I'm hammering this good point. And so I pause for a little bit. You know, I hit the point, yeah, and I pause. 
and somebody's phone goes off and the chime that they have on their phone is crickets. <laughs> so it's like I hit that point, boom, and it's like chirp, 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 chirp. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Um, Silencer 39 is help someone who's clearly struggling. You know, uh, this is so bad now that in some places, usually big cities, if somebody's getting beat up, which is oh, common man. nowadays, people don't just film jump it. in and help. They film it. It's crazy. Oh, my Lord. Oh, doesn't that just, I think that's more brutal than. That shows you how hard our hearts are. Yeah. How do you do that? It's like the Good Samaritan. He he stopped the uh, the Pharisee, whoever walked on by. Mm-hmm. The guy was all beat up. So in the streets now, if you're getting beat up, just don't plan on getting help. Just plan on it's being filmed. It's almost like we can't even we can't even see with our own eyes how people feel unless they text us with an emoji. Yeah. Like we don't pick up on yeah. like, oh, you're hurting. I should probably encourage you or say something to you or. Yeah, and people can't describe anything now because they let them emojis yeah. do it for them. Um, oh, it's crazy. But uh, I had a thought, but I lost it. Number 40, thank a veteran for his service. I think we've gotten a lot better about that. I think that. so. I you see know, that happen. I see people pick up a, a meal for, you know, someone they know is a veteran. or In the old, you know, I think when v, the Vietnam vets came back, and served so admirably, fought communism. Mm-hmm. We weren't good to them. Yeah, uh, Many Americans I was were. just having a conversation with somebody about that the other day, and they said uh, people would come up to my dad and say, uh, you did, you know, thank you for your service. And, and he'd say, oh, you know, don't thank me or whatever. And he, he was from that war, the Vietnam, Vietnam War. And I think they were made to feel so bad. Because well, yeah, we didn't thank them. Yeah. We didn't have parades for them. We yeah. ridiculed them. We called, called them baby killers. And these yeah. were men that were brave as any other yeah. soldier, you know. So so I think that I think that, that era uh, woke us, woke Americans up to, mm-hmm. to say, we, we need to thank these, these guys yeah. that uh, go and fight. Uh, for our freedom. So, all right. So we're almost done, folks. Two more weeks of etiquette training. I hope you're doing better out there. I know that uh, my etiquette, of course, is <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm glad we're in a room down in a basement. Yeah, I know. I think, uh, don't ask us. my wife uh, her opinion of that of that <laughs> statement. All right, we're out of here for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a great Father's Day, and uh, give your dad a hug and uh, thank him for being your daddy. Uh, and anything else, Pastor? God bless everyone. Yes, sir. There you go. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Azinger and Brian Leversey. We'll see you next week, folks. I will choose to.